everybody, welcome to episode 122 of Literary Disco, The Idiot. For today's episode... You're an idiot! No, oh, no, oh, save it. I... For today's episode, <laughs> we did not read Dostoevsky's famous novel, The Idiot. Instead, we have gathered here to talk about the brand new novel from Elif Batuman with the exact same title. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me as always, our novelist and critic Todd Goldberg not an idiot, and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel, also not an idiot. Hi, not guys. an idiot. Thank you. You're smart. Wow. You're not an wow. idiot either, Ryder. I don't Thank care you. what a lot of the stuff I see on Twitter says. Yeah. You're, you are, you're really cool. Wow, that was so sincere. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to walk back the, the call and out. All right. I thought you called me an idiot before, and I was, I was just offended. Um... <sighs> All right, shall we uh, dive right in, or do we want to... How you guys doing? Well, hold on. Before we start, who recommended this book to us? This was a recommendation (laughs) from uh, my friend Noel Valdivia, who's a great TV writer, and um, who uh, I got into a conversation with her about, and this will kind of make sense, maybe. We were discussing Lincoln and the Bardo, and she did not Uh like it. And I was Mm. talking about how much we loved it. And she said, you know what I loved from last year is The Idiot. And I hadn't heard of it or I had heard vaguely of it, but, you know, didn't. And I, was, I went out and got it. And then we decided to do it on the show. And, um, yeah, I, um, this was one of the toughest reads I've had in a long time. And, you know, um, Noelle's a wonderful writer. Uh, I, I had Noelle come and teach my MFA students. I have great respect for Noelle. Yep. Has she recently been ill? <laughs> well, she's actually in agreement with most of the critics of the world because this was one of the the, the most positively reviewed books of 2017. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we need to yeah, we need to back just... up and. Ex- All right. Well, here. Well, let's just let's just go right into the book. <laughs> yeah. So I'll just give a little bit of the background. So Elif Batuman, who's I'm probably not pronouncing correctly. I don't know if you guys have a, a better idea. Um, but she's a nonfiction writer for The New Yorker, and uh, she published her last book was in 2010. It was called The Possessed Adventures with Russian Books and the People Who Read Them. And then um, last year she put out this book, which is obviously still in line with her, her Russian literature fixation. Uh, but this one is a novel, and um, it's set in 1995, and it follows a Turkish American woman named Celine as she enters her freshman year at Harvard. Um, and Celine is, uh, and, and probably Batman herself, is really fascinated by language and linguistics. And so Celine enrolls in a Russian class where she falls for a seven-foot Hungarian guy named Ivan, who's 22, okay. he's, a, he's a, a senior at Harvard. And then Celine and Ivan start exchanging letters in the, uh, the brand new email format. Okay. Yeah, and that's, um, that's, she finds out that uh, Ivan has a girlfriend, and then it begins a, a, like a pretty one-sided romantic relationship that that goes on for four hundred pages. Yeah, very um, dramatic. All right, so okay, so we are. I'm already getting the feeling that that neither of you were that into it. Let, let's let's go to Julia though, Julia, <laughs> because you're not the one groaning hey, and moaning wh- over there. What one thing though is, uh, Batman is a a wonderful writer for the New Yorker. Um, so actually, I was excited to read this book because I read her stuff in the New Yorker all the time. She's been writing for the New Yorker for about a decade and a great essayist also. Um, so let me just, before you speak, Julie, I just wanted to say I am a fan of this writer. Okay. Go ahead. I, all right. So I'm glad that this writer has other good work. This novel, this novel <laughs> puzzled me because it did something that I 
thought was impossible, it made me start to hate the liberal arts. <laughs> um, it made me want to hate myself. What? It made me want to hate myself. No, I, no. Um, and that's, you know, I'm being ridiculous. But so I just felt like I've read so many novels about college and this one pretty much for the first like 100 or 200 pages goes class for class through oh. all of Celine's God. Um, <laughs> activities. And there's nothing wrong with that. It just sort of like set the novel on like a really pedestrian everyday pace. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. It just I had a really hard time getting into like the drive of it. You know, like I'm not saying it has to be like a movie, but it was I was just like, okay, now she's going to class. Okay, now she's sending an email. Now she's receiving an email. Now she's worrying about an email. And I don't know, maybe it's maybe the problem is like fucking email isn't um, engaging, but I just didn't. I, I really had trouble like locking in with the novel like that. That was my experience of it. It's like, okay, I'm reading it. Yeah. I'm experiencing it, but I was never emotionally involved in this affair. And however, I will say that this, you know, like it's the kind of novel that makes you wonder if you don't get it, like what you're missing. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, there must be something here that I'm not seeing. So, well, that's how I thought there there are. um, It's not poorly written, um, no, uh, not at listeners all. Listeners should not get the sense that this is a poorly written book. I think it's actually a, a wonderfully written book. It's, I, I had a freshman year in college, <laughs> so I don't need to go through your freshman year in college. You know, it, it was like hearing the stories of that friend of yours who takes a year off in another country and all they can talk about is comparing everything to that year off they took in another country. So you're like, oh, hey, we're going to go to Taco Tuesday. And they'd be like, Tuesdays in Romania, that's when the women wept on the streets. And then they tell you some long-ass story. And you'd be like, well, are we going to have fucking tacos? Or are you just going to keep fucking talking about your gap year? Or like or like the girl I knew in New York who became such a francophile after her like year in France that she she came back and if anything was cool she said that's so French. Oh my god. That's so French. I, I, it, it, like nope. French just became nope. new new thesaurus entry for cool nope. and we were all like no no you, you can't do that stop. And, <laughs> that's not that's no not longer friends with that person. But <laughs> that's not a thing. French is not French is not a so descriptive. <laughs> So, um, like yeah. I, as like as the novel was progressing, I kept waiting for that moment of uh, of rupture. Like I thought this was all going to lead to something profound, and there are moments where um, the author does have Celine reach some levels of profundity, but it was also just mm-hmm. like spending a lot of time talking to a nineteen year old about mm-hmm. things that they think are important, they're going to have no bearing on their life for the rest of their life. And I can do that by going to my job. I don't I don't need to right. do it when I'm reading a book. <laughs> well, but I think, I mean, so here's, I actually really enjoyed the first 100, 150 pages. Like mm. when I started reading this book, I in one sitting read like, you know, the first 50 pages and I was like telling everybody, this is the greatest book because I actually really enjoyed the initial, initially I really enjoyed the the going to classes and like, because I, I felt like it's framed, it's framed r- nicely with the title, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. it's, it, it's, it's, and, and then the first 
the opening of the book is um, is a is a quote from uh, Proust in Search of Lost Time, where. Uh, I'll just read it. But the characteristic feature of the ridiculous age I was going through, awkward indeed, but by no means infertile, is that we do not consult our intelligence and that the most trivial attributes of other people seem to us to form an inseparable part of their personality. In a world thronged with monsters and with gods, we know little peace of mind. There is hardly a single action we perform in that phase which we would not give anything in later life to be able to annul. Whereas what we ought to regret is that we no longer possess the spontaneity which made us perform them. And so I loved that. I, 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 you know, I've never read In Search of Lost Time all the way through, and this is from volume two, but that's actually like an amazing mm -hmm. perspective on being a teenager. So I was like, oh, okay, we're supposed to kind of, you know, be mocking this character's journey or what she thinks is like the most important journey through Russian class and linguistics. And, you know, she has all these questions of grammar. And so I was, I was enjoying them because I thought it was sort of more like comedic and um, self-deprecating. Yeah. And then it kind of just kept going in that mode or in a, in a more sort of flatline mode that didn't, didn't feel comedic to me. And, and, and that point that if that's the only point I, it just went on and right. on and on until she's in Hungary for the second part of the book. And I, 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 this is the hardest book I've had to finish since Finnegan's wake. Like I have not <laughs> suffered. Like I've, there's no narrative thrust. None. And it's really, I think there's just nothing. There's no suspense, right? Because you realize I, the note that I wrote to myself at one point was, is this a whole book just about making bad decisions because of a boy? And I was like, oh Maybe. yeah, that it really is all it yeah. is. Mm -hmm. But that's 400 pages and like a lot of work to get through right. with no like real entertainment. Like there's not really, it's not that, it's, a, it's, it's not like that a diary. It's, it's like a travelogue in yeah. a diary. And, you know, the so the original idiot, uh, Dostoevsky's idiot is, you know, it's about a person that no one thinks is smart. Um, right. going through life. And of course, that's the play that um, the author is going with here, that of course, Selena's smart. Um, right. But she makes foolish decisions because that's what you do when you're 19 years old. You make foolish decisions. But the pacing and the lack of drama is so prevalent that it's just like... It, it, I keep finding uh, uh, similes for this. It's like driving in a car with a stranger in the back seat, <laughs> just telling you right. about all the things that led them to be in your back seat on that day. And then I did this, and then I went to the library, and then I went to the the museum, and we saw all the stuff that was not put out on display. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna burn myself. Yeah. Oh my but God. there, there are some really well written observations. Though. Yeah, I mean, she's like, Ryan, she's embedded funny. within this, like, yeah, there's plenty of like moments where I was like, wow, I never thought of language that way, or a word that way, or even just her descriptions of people. Like, there's one scene in a bar where she describes just what it, um, what it looks like in this bar. Let me find it. Sorry, hold, hold, hold. Oh, she's listening to the Cranberries. Do you guys remember mm -hmm. this moment? Yes. Um, and that okay. singer just died. I Right when I was reading that, I think the woman had just yeah. died. Um, it does a really nice job of evoking 1995 for what that's worth. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that which is a strange year because that was middle of that last decade. Grunge was, you know, had been replaced by the grunge runoffs. Email was new. Uh, yeah. You know, the world was sort of at rest um, politically. There wasn't a giant war we were in at that point. Uh, things were, you know, booming. 
Um, there was there's a great story that a friend of mine wrote years ago, who described this period as when history rested. Hmm. Cool. So the the passage I was thinking about is all are, she, they're in the bar. Her and Ivan. It's kind of their first date ish. All around, people were shouting, wearing T-shirts. Their backs seemed more numerous than their faces. I saw Ivan leaning over the bar and talking to the bartender, who had a pixie cut, laughing eyes, and dimples, though her mouth wasn't smiling. Ivan came back with two pint glasses of beer and handed me the paler one. The glass was heavy in my hand. It felt expensive and adult. It's like just great scene setting there, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. there's really yeah. amazing details and scene setting. It's like, it's descriptive, but also kind of, it, it gives perfect narrator perspective on all the, the situations. And so there's so many moments that I kept waiting for this to blossom into a real story. And it didn't. No. Yeah. I think a lot of the details were funny. I mean, I would never describe this as like a comic novel, but I think others have. Um, but I mean, a detail that stood out to me is really great. was like way in the beginning when she's like applying for all these different classes um, she has a cold and she's in mm-hmm. one office and like the guy doesn't have a tissue so she doesn't get into the class. And then the next one she applies to, the professor also has a cold so they laugh and she gets into the class. Right. And it's that, and those ideas are interesting. It's like what dumb detail in your life, you know, sets the course of your world, your intellectual yeah. world. But it's not really treated as such. It just sort of like skips, skips along. Um, Another thing that I thought had a lot of potential, yeah, I like this, was the, like, time spent on the Russian textbook and all these, Mm -hmm. like, this Mm -hmm. ongoing story with these invented characters in different tenses. I mean, I had a Latin textbook just like that. Um, Did you look it up to see if that's a real textbook, by the way? It is. In the acknowledgments, she she says that it's it's based on what they were really... uh, learning in her Russian class at Harvard. And she, she oh, gives credit okay. to, she, they don't know who technically wrote it, but she gives credit to one person in particular and says that, um, yeah. And also in the acknowledgements, we should add, she wrote this book in 2000 and 2001, most of this, uh, the beginning part of this book. Hmm. So she did write this book much closer to the experiences, put it aside, hmm. and then sort of revisited it more recently. She says she dusted it off wow. at somebody's suggestion and decided to see it. I think she says, I finally, I could see it as a historical novel. Um, hmm. huh. so yeah, so I think that, that a lot of the detail work was probably, well, I, didn't, you know, I didn't read the acknowledgements. Yeah. I should read the acknowledgements. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, she obviously is trying to contextualize a lot of the things that we find kind of boring or grating. She's trying to contextualize them into some, you know, some larger perspective that's outside of Celine's. Um, but I don't know if I got that. I mean, or if I did get that, all I could sort of take from it was like I said, like, oh, you had a, you had a really kind of crappy crush or a crush on a crappy guy who you made decisions based around, you know, she goes to Hungary instead of taking a job in, in Turkey, um, do it working for let's go where she could have made money. And, you know, she does this teaching English in Hungary just to be near him. And he kind of doesn't care and has another girlfriend. And, you know, so you, I got that part of it. Um, in fact, I was reminded of Lady Bird. Did you guys see Lady Bird? Yeah. 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 Do you remember how in Lady Bird she has that relationship with the, the guy that Timmy, Timothy Chalamet is also in mm-hmm. Call Me By Your Name? And he's like this like brooding, like cigarette smoking. Yes. Like, and I just love that dynamic. And I was reminded of that. And I, But that part of the movie is like, it's like maybe a, a fifth of the movie. And the rest of the movie is so funny. And it's about like her relationship with her mom. And, and this, mo- this book was just sort of like that relationship for 400 pages where it's like, I get it. This guy sucks. I don't want you to be making these decisions. You keep making them. You're not going to get anything out of this like you think you are. 
oh god, that's all this book is going to be about. I really just well, and you know, the this is the interesting thing is that she really writes her characters with a blank affect mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. she doesn't write anything else with. So, like that bit when you're describing the bar, I, I think she does an amazing job of, you know, of of like portraying what it's like to, um, you know, take a boat on the Danube or whatever, or, or even to to walk the streets of Boston. You know, that she writes with a true vividness for setting and for things that she then does not give the characters themselves. So the mm-hmm. characters themselves, and maybe this is like you know when you're 18 and 19 years old. You know, you think that you have that you're this profound, intense being, but you're you know you're mostly just like a drug addict because your hormones are going crazy. You're being fed all this information for the first time in your life. You're processing all of it. Everything seems to be more important than it is. And you know, then you're around adults that are older than you, and you like you either sound like a pretentious moron or you don't want to talk at all. Right. <laughs> um, and like uh, the. There's no, I, there's no emotional connection for me to any of the characters. I have an emotional connection to the places, but not the people, mm-hmm. um, based on the writing itself. I mean, she's, she's a really, you know, she, she actually is a, a tremendously gifted writer of dialogue. Mm-hmm. These people sound like 18 and 19-year-olds. Right, yeah. The problem is they sound like 18 and 19-year-olds. Right. <laughs> and it, it, you know, it's just the... Even like the postcards that Svetlana sends her towards the end of the book, you're just like, oh my God, could anyone be more pretentious than Svetlana? Svetlana's a friend of hers that she meets in a, in a Russian class who is he's just this, how do, you, how do you explain? She's, she's worldly, she, she wants to be worldly and um, in touch with everything super uh, wealthy. going on around her. Super wealthy. Meanwhile, she doesn't understand how the way she acts affects anybody. Yeah, but she's definitely supposed to be a comic character. I mean, like, there's one section where she's like, don't you think that some people are more, it's something, it's not these words, but it's like, don't you think that some people are deeper than others? Those people should have their own rooms and not have to share with roommates. Like, that's (laughs) obviously a joke. Right. Um, well, they, they, they actually have this conversation near the end of the book. It was Svetlana and, and uh, Celine, where they, they really, I think, say kind of what Batuman was aiming for with this book. Uh, uh, Svetlana says to her, uh, I know you're making up a story, too, and in your story, I'm just a character. I don't know, I said, this is Selena. I still think everyone experiences their own life as a narrative. If you didn't have some kind of mm-hmm. ongoing story in your mind, how would you know who you were when you woke up in the morning? That's a weak definition of narrative. This is uh, Svetlana responding. That's saying the narrative is just memory plus causality. But for us, the narrative has aesthetics too. So, I mean, like, they're pl- you know, she's clearly like playing with this idea of being a non-story book or not, you know, about somebody who thinks that they're yeah. in a story that isn't a really good story. But man, that's a boring point to make for 400 pages. Like that's really, <laughs> right. Like, that's a great short story well, point, you know, <laughs> or novella right. maybe. Yeah. And what? it's, it just feels unclear whether it's criticizing, not like it has to be black and white, but like whether it's on board with what they're saying or whether it's like kind of nudge, nudge, aren't they so pretentious? Like, it just is teetering around that I don't know how seriously to take these characters because I don't understand how seriously the book is taking these characters. Yeah. 
Well, and so here's the thing. I, I was thinking about um, Manhattan Beach when I was reading this. Um, the book by Jennifer Egan we read a couple of, of episodes ago. And the argument that you made, writer, about, well, Egan is doing things in this book because they are cliches right. and is blowing them up so that we recognize um, tropes for X, Y, and Z for different yeah. things. Clearly, Batuman is doing the same thing right. by saying, my life is like a movie for this character, or my life is like a book, or everything is about narrative. So, but she's on she's on top of the joke. Like, she's telling all of us what the joke is right. over right. and over and over again. And so the difference, also, Manhattan Beach had a plot. Right. The difference <laughs> is that if what you were saying is true, and I've begun to feel that more and more since I've, since we got done reading that book, that book has stayed with me more than I thought it would. Um, then, like that makes it a, a more interesting intellectual book. Whereas this is like, look at me, look at me, I'm so smart. Look at me, I'm writing a book about books, about books, about movies, about books, yep. where nothing happens, and that just feels grating. I know, you know, it just it's like revealing the artist more than the art, and for 425 pages. Right. Um, and I, I don't know. I just don't think that's entertainment. And at some point, a book has to be entertainment. Yeah, I mean, I I think also that that suspense, adding suspense and narrative thrust is the hardest thing to do as a writer. I think that's mm -hmm. the 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 hardest thing to learn and to understand and to master. And so to like set out to sort of remove that challenge, um, like the, you get me you because know, even like I was reminded of um, Nosgard, the my struggle books that I've talked mm -hmm. about that I'm I'm still reading. Like oh you know I'm on volume two, I'm taking my time. But like it's crazy to me that I'm reading this guy's <laughs> six volume, you know, and but it's he has so much suspense, even though he's doing this exact same thing. This sort of like I went over here, I smoked this cigarette, I talked to this person, these friends came over for dinner, <laughs> we cooked this. It's like the most banal, like like ben, or benign, like boring information but it's somehow not boring at all he like amps it up and adds suspense and you care and i just can't believe i keep caring and then r nothing really happens it's just this guy's life and he's writing the book that i'm reading and whereas this like couldn't she couldn't add suspense to it and like to remove that and to make it like this sort of intellectual like haha trickery i don't i don't need suspense it's like well that's kind of a cop-out to me like that's actually just bad writing mm. i would rather you write essays you know or, or mm. write your observations um, in a nonfiction form then because maybe then it would be I would excuse it but like as a novel it's like don't write a novel then like that's the challenge that's what's hardest to write is suspense and, and narrative thrust because you're putting order you're putting uh, meaning and causality onto these things to remove that and to just say see I removed it that makes me a good author is like I don't know that's just uh, uh, I easy. do think it's going to make a good HBO show though hmm. <laughs> Like, you can actually see this, <laughs> and maybe in that way, I don't hold uh, Noel um, guilty for having us read this book, is, like, you can see this as a, in the adaptation form, in, in two seasons of eight episodes of her going off and doing these things, and the minor epiphanies that she has over the course of this year of her life that we read might mean something more when you're watching them versus reading them, you know, because it, yeah. Well, but it would be episodic and it would also, but you would have to have yeah, the, narrative the, thrust. I mean, it would have to be like, oh, she's going to get have, the guy. You'd have no, to she's care oh, about she, and, the relationships this, that she's in. But, you know, I, I just, I didn't care about the relationship hmm. that she had with, 
with Ivan in the least. Like it had. Well, but she's also she's so passive. That's the problem. Yeah. She never makes any decisions, right? And she's yeah. just sort of being buffeted from like class to class and from Ivan's decision to Svetlana's decision. Like everybody's making decisions for her. She's always constantly surrounded by somebody who's like telling her what she should do. And then she's just kind of going along with them. And that's, that. I mean, that's just never, you're ne- that's never going to, that would never fly as a TV show. Like you need a character who does something, right? Who makes decisions because it's, a, it's, it's how the world reacts to those decisions and their sort of testing of reality that makes stories interesting or makes anything worth watching or reading. Yeah, I mean, but I think that that is in and of itself an interesting observation. Like, I'm I'm yes. trying to link this as much with my own experience as I can because, you know, I went to Skidmore College, which is, it's not Harvard, but it's like a similar environment where people are trying to improve yeah. their intellect. Um, and it's, it is fascinating. And I guess what this book kind of reveals is you know, the time of your life that you think is the most exciting is mm-hmm. the most boring, <laughs> right. you know, right. and you're and you're in this like total bubble where nobody's really making decisions, you know, unless you're going off the map. But like a lot of students live in this life where they just live in this academic world that's sort of suspended in time. And, you know, that could be what the book is driving at or is at least informed by, but it's like, I'm happy that I don't remember my specific life, (laughs) my freshman year of college, because I think it was a lot like this of like language, deepness. Uh, We were so, I mean, we were like that in graduate school guys. Come on. Like graduate school wasn't that long ago first. And we were like, not like when I was 18. Let me tell you. No, no, this would have been Ryder's favorite book when he was 18. This book? Oh, my God. If Ryder read this when he was yeah. 18, he'd have a shirt. I did, yeah, I mean, I, well, like I said, I really enjoyed the first 100 pages, and maybe that's why, because I got into the mode of, like, to- it totally reminded me of, like, yeah, my experience, too, and, like, the way I felt, like, going from class to class, and, like, every teacher is an opportunity to be, like, the mentor of my life, and then you just realize, like, no, they're kind of just, you know, disgruntled older person who's so sick of the subject that they have to keep teaching to little brats like, uh, you know, like you start seeing that as you get older. Um, so yeah, I mean, I related to it. Definitely. Yeah. Like, there was, there was a class that she described. that was like the 19th century novel. And I was like, I suddenly paused and I was like, I know I took a class called the continental, the continental novel with like Balzac and blah, blah, blah. I was like, I cannot remember one anything. Like one point, like I would probably recognize the books, but I, I seriously have no memory of learning anything. Um, Well, and you know, for me, you know, obviously I'm a professor at a university. So like, I see a lot of this, just like the stuff that, that the professors are angry about or the petty things that, that they're talking about. You know, when she was talking about the the art teacher who, you know, they're going to they're going to bust into the museum and they're going to look at oh, all the yeah, stuff yeah. that's not being displayed. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, I have meetings with that guy because all the chairs and deans, we have a big meeting and he's in that meeting. And every meeting, like 45 minutes in, someone will have some comment about, you know, oh, we have to do something about having more chairs for this room and that room. And he'll stand up, this guy, and he'll just be like, you know what? I want to talk about the relationship between the chairs 
and the space and the aesthetics of the art and you were like, oh my god, we were almost out of here. We had we had like five minutes left and this this dude wants to talk about communism. And and then someone comes in from HR to talk about benefits and then he starts talking about the grad students and their their benefits. And you're like, oh my god, I've got Kill me. Right. Kill all of us. Yeah, of course. You're in academia. That's really interesting. One thing I want to say. So the, the petty sort of, the, pe- the petty politics of it, uh, and I like an academic novel, actually. I, li- I like those. Um, but the petty politics, she does it really, really well. But the stakes are so low. Yeah. So what right. does it matter? Um, I, I did want to point out about um, the kind of like floating plotlessness of the novel um, so obviously this is referencing Rus- Russian novels in its title. And also, you know, there's a lot of Russian plots in it. Um, and I think, I feel like this is what people think that Russian novels are like, but Russian novels, I've read a lot of them and they are like the most thrillingly plotted yes. yeah. dramatic novels yeah. out there. So I felt like, I, I can't even tell you guys how many people I've said, read go read Crime and Punishment. And they're like, oh, it's like the quintessential, like, so yeah. boring. It's like, no, it's about a guy it's who murders someone. Really, like, page yeah, three. Yeah, it's so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, like, for the listeners today, I want to say, like, this is not, like, an American adaptation of a Russian novel. It sort of references that world. But there's so many good Russian novels, and I hope that, People know that still. There's a great new novel by the writer Janet Fitch, who wrote uh, White Oleander and Painted Black, called The Revolution of Marina M., which is, in fact, a Russian novel. It takes place uh, in 1917 in uh, St. Petersburg. Um, it is 850 Whoa. pages long, uh, and it's remarkable. It's excellent, and it's a true Russian novel, and it's filled with twists and turns and upsets. This this is what you know what this is like this is like a mumblecore movie <laughs> it's not a bad comparison right whereas about the idea of the movie but it's almost also, more than it is like its own story right yeah but it's also oddly reminiscent of um of books like the fuck up um or the underachievers diary these books that were that were really popular um like 1998 1999 2000 that that brief era um that you know we're just sort of about people moving through life and having things happen to them and everything is sort of an ellipses and not an exclamation point and um like you know that I, I think there's there is something to that i think I, I it makes me wonder like is this book not as appealing to us because of our distance from that time, mm-hmm. is it more appealing if you're 25 and you read this book and you're still searching mm. for meaning? I mean, here we are, Maybe. three people with lives and families and kids and all that stuff, and we can look back on being 19 and, and realize the foolishness of things. When you're 25, being 19 seems like when you were most free, mm. you know? Um, so I wonder if it's, mm. you know, if, if there's something about our own points of view. I mean, I doubt that all the reviewers that, that have been so positive well, are I don't know. 25 I, I or read, younger. I, you know, that's what's... There's something about this book that's struck a chord with, with a lot of people. There are some reviews that... Yeah, like, I, I went... I, like, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't completely out of step with my, my literary uh, colleagues. And a lot of them say the same thing. Brilliantly written, super funny in places, grating, annoying, pointless. <laughs> you know, like, there's... 
A lot of the reviews say, you know, it's there's long sections that are annoying. And you just don't see that a lot in a review where someone is like, this book is annoying, but it's extraordinarily well written, which is true. Extraordinarily well written. And I, 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 I didn't want to read it. I just didn't want to read it. Yeah, like here's the last paragraph of the NPR review. Uh, and it's, it's not damning. Uh, it's just observant. The idiot replicates the feeling of those years when stories don't seem to match up with lived experience, and it's not clear if it's your fault or the world's. Like that time, the idiot is both boring and strangely intense, fraught and apparently meaningless, confusing <laughs> and inevitable, endless and over in a moment. So yeah. it's like, uh, yeah, it's good. You know, it's a generous, yeah. um, it's saying everything we're saying, but it's saying like, maybe that's the idea. You know? Yeah, I think people are being super generous because because she's a great writer and they know her other work. Sure. And they know, I mean, you see it, you feel it when you're reading this book. You're like, oh, this is a really intelligent, interesting mm-hmm. writer. And so I think I think a lot of reviewers are probably just just giving her a lot of credit. And and but man, I would never have finished this book if we weren't no. reading the show. I never. No. Would have and you know this what? Book. I I had the uh, the double effect because I was reading it and then I had to go to. Um, to Arizona to teach at a wonderful writers conference this last weekend, and so I also downloaded the audiobook, which she reads, and she's a very slow reader. <laughs> so, like, I when I left home, I was on like page like 185 or 200, something like that, and by the time I got to Phoenix, which is three and a half hours from my house, I think I was on like. 215. I was like, is my speed wrong? Am you know who's I, the worst am I reader? Going at 0.5? Is Stephen King. Whenever Stephen King reads his own work, it's like, oh, God, because he's very nasal. Nasally. No one should read their own work. And then, no. no and then he, he does, no he likes to do his main work. accents for all his, like, main characters. And it's always no. like, up here nope. in the end. And you're like, stop, stop. <laughs> nope. No voices. I listened to Bag no of Bones, which is like, you know, I, I this was back in the era of CDs, and it took like twenty-seven CDs to bag up both like the longest novel. I listened to it driving across the country. It was like I can't, I can never listen. I can't, I can't unhear Stephen King's voice for the rest of my life. It's, oh, you know, the only time I like authors reading their own stuff is in uh, memoir because I feel like it's strange sometimes if um, oh yeah an actor is reading your memoir it seems weird Frank McCourt reading Angela's Ashes is one of the coolest mm-hmm. things ever he's such mm-hmm. a good reader and then he he sings all the songs because there's all these like little ditties throughout and poems and he does them and you're like ah oh! it's just it's you know his Irish accent it's so great Angela's Ashes that's cool great. yeah I liked yeah. Tina Fey reading Bossy Pants yeah that actress that yeah, elevated that, that book <laughs> Yeah. The uh, author of The Fact of a Body, Alexandra Lesnovich, what was her name? Uh, she she reads Fact of a Body, because um, I read that book and then I listened to it, mm-hmm. because I loved it so much. Um, and she's great. But, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, don't get the audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And maybe just don't get the book. Is that... <laughs> I want to find her short stories, though. This she, I will she's a, willingly she's a seek that out. Wonderful essayist. Right. If you get the New Yorker, she's in the New Yorker. She's a staff writer, um, so cool. she covers all kinds of different things. Um, and the the same sort of skewed vision that she applies to her characters in this book, she often takes as sort of a first person reporter in things. You know, she's a she's amusing, um, yeah. and and obviously 
extraordinarily smart and uh, a gifted linguist. Um, but I, I think the journalism benefits from a natural mystery that needs to be solved. And there's just not a mystery that needs to be solved in this book. No. Nope. Mm. All right. Well, I'm, uh, I'm off to Spain tomorrow, and I think I'm going to bring Dostoevsky's The Idiot with me because I've never read that, <laughs> and I really <laughs> oh, want to awesome. now. <laughs> I hope you have a good time in Spain. Let Thank us you. know about the quality of the rain yeah. in Spain. I will. Yeah. <laughs> Todd, have a great time in Florida. Oh, yeah. Hey, if you're listening to this and you've already seen me at AWP, I'm sorry for that thing that I said to you. I was drunk. Oh,